Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. So I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOTN. This week we're going over UFC 243, which is headlined by a huge middleweight fight between Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya, a fight that a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. We knew as soon as Adesanya got his first victory in the UFC that he was kind of projected to to get to this spot. But to go up against another guy from Australia and that New Zealand region, uh, it's even bigger and it's fucking amazing for them that they can go out there and try to fill out an arena uh, or a stadium, I should say. Um, but who knows how those ticket sales are doing, to be honest. Uh, in the main, co-main event, we got Ally Quinta against Daniel Hooker. Don't know if I really give a fuck about that fight, to be honest. But we'll get into that later uh, in the episode. Uh, also, this episode, I will be joined by a very special guest to break down one of the upcoming fights. Um, the last two guests, they chose to go with the main event. Uh, my next guest uh, chose to pick one of their earlier fights uh, a little bit before the main event. And I can't blame him. You know, we're going to have some nerds on this fucking podcast. He's one of them. I am one of them. Most of you watching this are probably one of them or are just trying to get in and out quick. Get your fucking information that you need and get the fuck out of here. I get it. I get it. But um, I- I'm excited to get into this fight with my man because I have a lot of good thoughts on it. And I'm sure he does as well because I believe he has a bet on it if I'm not con- if I'm not uh, mistaken. Regardless, um, we're not doing the casuals today. we got to get to my man. Uh, that's going to be my guest. Um, so I want to speed things up a little bit. Uh, but there are some fights on the prelims that I'm uh, pretty, very much looking forward to and may have potential plays on. Uh, but just on you know, going through the odds, um, it might be a lighter card for me uh, in general. Uh, i got to pick my shots a little bit better. Um, you know, I've been going with a little bit more volume recently. My dogs have been hitting, uh, but the lock and the plays are really shit in the bed. So I got to turn things around. I got to really hone in on something. And I think I have one line in mind. Uh, well, that hasn't been released yet, uh, but I think will be the lock and the play. Um, and kind of going off of one of the listener questions that I answered last week, uh, you know, my threshold is minus 350. So we'll see where this uh, bet comes in. Uh, and I'll let you guys know. But... Let's get started on the card. Or actually, you know what? Let's go over uh, UFC Fight Night 160, UFC Copenhagen that went down this past weekend. Uh, since we're talking about my bets anyway, uh, I ended up being a two-event weekend for me as well with Bellator mixed in there. But let's go over this real quick. Uh, my first play for UFC Copenhagen was uh, under two and a half at plus 150 again, uh, for the Ishmael Nardia fight and the Sierra Bahadur, Bahadurzada fight. Um, I thought, you know, with the styles of both of these guys, maybe Ishmael playing a little bit safer, which is what he did. Um, you know, I thought there were many instances where this fight could have been stopped, uh, you know, given some of the scenarios I expected to play out in my head, just based off the type of striker both of these guys are. So, yeah, Nordiev is a little bit, um, you, you know, more so on the conservative side. Uh, but I think that CR, you know, throwing those haymakers as he does, he leaves himself for openings, and that's where I think that he possibly could get caught down the road. Uh, dude hasn't really been finished, so... I understand if uh, you know why the the odds are always so close, or even plus money uh, to get the under on Sierra Bader's out of fights. But I like the spot. I wanted to take the shot. Only regret was probably going as deep as I did with the 1.5 units. Uh, next up, we had uh, Ian Kutelaba to win inside the distance, My, uh, plus 160 on that. I was more than happy to take that underdog shot uh, or that plus money shot on a guy uh, who has knockout power uh, and against a guy who. Um, 
you know, has still a sketchy chin. You know, even though he looked really good in his last fight, that's not going to help his chin. And I think that young Kutalaba was going to be the guy that was going to find the button. You know, he went for the takedowns and he got it that way, uh, but it's still a victory. I had 0.75 units at plus 160, profited from 1.2 units, so I was happy with that one. Uh, next up was a heavy play on, uh, or a heavy-ish play on Mark Casey, 2.5 units at minus 162, I believe it was, or minus 152 uh, against Lando Venata. He looked great. You know, uh, I knew as soon as he implemented his uh, calf kicks, it's going to have a mark on the fight immediately, and they kind of did against Lando Venata. Um, mad at myself, I didn't go a little bit deeper at that, but again, I say that after every time I win a fucking bet, especially if it's not a lock of the night play. Um, so big win for Mark D. Casey there. He's going to be in a lot of trouble for a lot of guys who are not able to find a, uh, an answer for that calf kick. Uh, otherwise, he's going to implement that early and often, and it's going to be showing dividends uh, come fi the 15th minute of the fight. All right, next up, I had an underdog play, one unit at plus 138 on Nicholas Dalby. I'll take it as a little bit of a gift. You know, that stand-up that they had, I believe it was in the second round, where, you know, Nicholas, second or third round, uh, where Nicholas Dalby, you know, was on his back. Referee stood it up when Alex Oliveira was in half guard. You know, I'd be a little bit upset as well, as clearly Oliveira was after they actually got stood up. Uh, and then, you know, soon after, Nicholas Dalby gets his own takedown and rides out the rest of the round, and, in my opinion, wins that round as well. So, I'll take the gift. Underdog shot on Nicholas Dalby. Uh, you know, Alex Oliveira, once again, kind of shows his lack of gas tank. He was there in the third round, but, you know, it really was the detriment of him. So if you can get somebody that's that has a better gas tank and doesn't have a glass chin, I think you have a good shot of beating Alex Oliveira anytime. So big one for Nicholas Dalby there. We'll see where it takes him. And then lastly, we have my lock in the night play, which, which was Mihal Oleksijak against Ovin St. Prue. Five units at minus 224. I'd take that bet 10 times out of 10. You know, like, it, it, that first round went exactly how you thought. Um, Mikhail has never really shown that crazy of a of a power dump or, you know, his adrenaline dump uh, as he did in that second round. Then Ovin St. Prue, you know, took advantage of that, imposes well on the ground and got the easy sub via Von Prue choke. Uh, so big win and shout out to anybody that took the shot on the OSP. Uh, but not a lot of people expected Mikhail to be taking an L that night. Unfortunately, he did. So I ended that event minus 2.28 events. Continues the tough stretch of lock the night plays or fate of the night plays essentially now. You know, if you guys want to call it that, I don't give a fuck. But, uh, you know, I'm going to keep chugging along. Uh, later that night, we actually had Bellator 228 as well, where I had a 1.25 unit bet on one Archuleta against Patricio Pitbull. Uh, Pitbull fought, fought a great fight, even though he wasn't the most active uh, in that. He was landing the better shots. He was obviously causing the better or the more damage. Uh, so big one for Patricio there. Uh, and then we have my lock of the night play, five units at minus 269. Juicy as fuck, but I thought it was more, you know, it was definitely called for, for Gegard Musasi over Lyoto Machida. Close fight. Didn't think it was a split decision. It should have been 29-28 all around. Uh, but as soon as I heard that 30-27, I'm like, they got to give this to Gegard. It would be a travesty if any judge actually scored that from Machida three rounds to nothing. Uh, so we ended that event point or plus 0.61 units. I'll take the fucking W if I can. But uh, overall, I think I was slightly down on the night, uh, minus 1.67 units. It is whatever the fuck it is. All right. Uh, first up, we have Juan Archu... Oh, sorry. Fuck, what am I talking about? Just a little bit focused on what's going to be happening later on the show. So uh, let's start off with the first fight of the night. I already have two bets for this. I'm not going to get into the quick thoughts because we're going to go over that real quick. Um you know, throughout the card, uh, but there will be some fights that I want to skim over, don't really give a fuck about, and I've had a very packed schedule the last two weeks, moving in and all that shit, so 
cut me some fucking slack. Some of these fights, if you guys want to hear about them, I would suggest my man MMA Predictions. The guy's a beast. MMA Predictions guru, I should say. He's a beast. Gets really deep into specific fights. Uh, and, you know, I try to do as much as I can. But, uh, you know, some of these fights I just really don't have the time for. So, all right. Khalid Taha, ha, yeah, Khalid Taha versus uh, Bruno Bruno Silva. Um, this was this fight was actually scheduled to happen in September. Not sure exactly why it got pushed back, but uh, I'm taking Khalid here. Sort of big, uh, quick knockout over Boston Salmon in his last fight. Uh, you know, got outgrinded by Nadir Armani, but I think he's going to be able to impose his will on Bruno Silva, get the first round finish. Next up, Nadia Kassim versus Ji Yoon Kim. We saw a huge uh, swing in odds here. She's now Ji Yoon Kim went from fucking my, or plus, what was it plus? 106 open, got up to plus 120, and now is a minus 172 favorite. Nadia Kassim is a fraud. I think that Ji Yoon Kim wins this fight easily by decision. Uh, not too much technical to get into there. If uh, Kim gets to minus 200-ish, I would back off that play. However, I think Kim is decent enough in a parlay if you get her over like minus 150 or so. But if she somehow comes back down to minus 150, I would suggest playing her at that point. Will I? Not 100% sure. Probably won't. Uh, next up, Megan Anderson versus Zara. Uh, fuck, I keep fucking up her name. Zara Farn. Farn. Goddamn, I hit the fucking. I keep hitting the goddamn fucking. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. Uh, Zara Farn Dos Santos versus Megan Anderson. Um, why Megan Anderson is a minus 500 favorite, I have no fucking idea. You know, she is a decent fighter. You know, obviously striking is her forte. We've seen in the past if she can get grinded out, she's going to get ground out. Um, you know, Holly Holm, who's essentially a striker, goes out there and outgrinds uh, Megan Anderson. After, you know, Anderson landed a couple good shots on Holly Holm, so I think that's what is kind of exacerbating her. I don't even know if that's the word. I might be fucking making that up right now, but I think exaggerating. Exaggerating is the word that I'm looking for. I think Megan's uh, striking is exaggerated due to the fact that she was able to land on Holly Holm and make her change her game plan in that fight. Yeah, I agree with that, but I think that she still makes technical mistakes. Uh, I'm interested to see how she's going to be dealing with the range management of um, uh, Zara here. You know, one thing that I found very impressive in Zara's fights is she does hold distance quite well. You know, she might be at, you know, she has been bigger and more longer than her past opponents, so she might get into a little bit of trouble here with Megan Anderson. But I still think that, you know, she she comes from a great gym, the MMA factory in France, where, you know, Czech Congo, Francis Ngannou, and a lot of those French fighters made their emergence. Uh, that's where she currently trains. Uh, but, you know, she showed knockout power in her last fight against Isabel Baduric. Um, you know, she looks like she could pose Megan Anderson some problems. You know, she might be able to to technically outstrike her. Um, I don't think she that she'll have the sauce on her hands. Like again, she did finish her last opponents, but I don't know if she'll be able to get into a good enough range to be able to exchange with Megan Anderson hard enough without eating a shot back. And you know, I will give it to Anderson. She has heavy. She does have heavy strikes. She definitely does have uh, TKO ability, if you want to call it that. But I think that Zara could come in with a very uh, methodical game plan like you know she she has shown it in the past she she uses her range well she kicks when she needs to she throws good combinations when her opponent does decide to close the range so here it's going to be interesting to see how she deals with somebody who's just as big as her if not as bigger than her so um i there is no in no world should megan anderson ever be minus 500 against anybody i don't give a fuck who it is uh with that said i had to take a small shot 
at um, Zara Fern Dos Santos. She's at plus 14 on sport bet right now. I took a 0.25 unit stab on her. You know, you profit at least a unit there. I think it's worth the stab. Uh, the odds should not be this wide. Should not. If you are tailing anybody that even puts Megan Anderson into a fucking parlay with her above minus 450 even, you should be questioning that person's ethics almost. And just put it that way. All right. Uh, I'm taking. I'm going to take Zara by decision just because I bet on her as well. But I can definitely see an instance here where Zara is not able to get her game going due to her not being able to adjust to the, the size of Megan Anderson. And she could definitely, you know, get outpowered. Um, I think that if her chin holds up, she might be able to outpoint Megan Anderson and maybe just win on activity. Uh, but... Again, I don't know how much effect Megan Anderson's shots are really going to have on Zara and what kind of fighter she becomes after she gets hit. So um, I'm, I'm okay with the 0.25 unit stab, 0.5 max unit stab at plus 400 odds to fade a fighter that you know doesn't really have the best fight IQ and isn't technically really the best fighter. She's just big. She's kind of a brute. And if she can't get her striking game going, you know she's in some trouble. So uh, you're talking about a girl who's in competitive fights against Charmaine Tweet and lost to Cindy Dandwa. Fucking let that be your sign. All right? I'm taking Zara by decision. That brings us to our next fight. Brad Riddell against Jamie Malarkey, a guy from Australia, a guy from New Zealand, going head-to-head just like we have in the main event. Uh, Brad Riddell, uh, very impressive footage from what you can see from what's out there, uh, at least MMA-related on the tape index. I was only able to dig up two fights or MMA fights for this guy, but they were very impressive. The Kanan Song fight, he landed a huge body shot, which ended up crumpling Kanan Song, and he finished with a couple more shots. And then especially in the Shem Murdoch fight, um, beautiful knee, like perfectly placed. And he has a, a knack for finishing people to the body, so I think that might be something to look out for in this fight. With Jamie Malarkey, you're kind of getting an all-around guy. He has decent movement. Uh, a good, uh, good, decent fight IQ to know kind of when to take the fight to the ground and when to be changing levels. And uh, I think overall, I see more from Jamie Malarkey. However, I just don't see enough from Brad Riddle uh, to see how legitimate this guy actually is. You know, everything we've seen thus, thus far, it's been pretty decent. However, you know, you, when you have so many question marks and you're going up with a guy that uh, is as big of a favorite, uh, where is it? Sorry, I just had it up here. One sec. Jamie Malarkey is plus 130, Brad Riddell minus 150. So if that gets closer to like the pick'em range or something or minus 120, I would entertain a bet on Brad Riddell. But up until that point, you know, I think Jamie Malarkey has shown a better uh, overall MMA game. But uh, Riddell's striking, the difference in that alone might be enough for Brad Riddell to get this victory. So I'm going to take Riddell by uh, TKO second round. I think he puts it on uh, Malarkey, who I believe will be going for the takedowns more often than not. Uh, and then... Uh, we'll take Brad Riddell by second round TKO. Maybe let's see another body shot, hopefully. But I'm taking Riddell to win. Maybe even Riddell inside the distance is something that you guys might want to take a peek at. Uh, it's plus 175 right now, so I might even take a small poke at that. But uh, very impressive from what I've seen from Brad Riddell and Jamie Malarkey. Still a young kid. I think he still has some developing to do. Uh, you know, he has more fights than a Brad Riddell. However, I just think that Brad Riddell just shows so much more in his striking than Jamie Malarkey shows in his entire game. Uh, so I'm taking Brad Riddell by second round TKO. Next up, we got Callan Potter versus Mackie Pitolo. I'm going to take Mackie Pitolo by decision. Uh, oh, sorry, by second round finish. Uh, submission to be exact. Not the highest on Callan Parton. Potter, I can def- definitely see why uh, Mackie Pitolo is such a heavy favorite. Minus 255-ish range. Uh, but UFC jitters are real. 
I'm I've dabbled with it too much, especially with uh, Askar Askarov a couple weeks ago. I got lucky with that draw, um, so I'm not going to take the shot on such a heavy favor making his UFC debut. But yes, Callum Potter is that bad, so I wouldn't be uh, mad actually at anybody that is taking a small uh, parlay piece poke at Mackie Pitola. But straight, I just don't see enough justification to be betting a guy that that heavy of a favorite uh, making his UFC debut, no matter how bad uh, Callum Potter actually is. All right, next up we have Jake Matthews versus Rockman Rostam Ackman. I like Jake Matthews here. Uh, the kid always show, continues to show improvement. Uh, just fought a better fighter last time around against Anthony Morocco Martin, who I'm going to continue to call Tony Martin. So that's the last time he's going to hear that full name. It's not going to do anything for your brand, bro. <laughs> you know, however many fights into the UFC for you, you can't just switch up your name and think that all of Italy is going to be behind me now because I fully put in the full Tony, which is Anthony, and added Rocco to it. So, sorry, Tony, but that's how it's going to go. But Jake Matthews, uh, very impressed with him. You know, he's been in the UFC since he was like 19 years old, which is ridiculous. Uh, he shows a great all-around game. He just gets beat by better grapplers and, and guys in that position. And I don't think Rostam Lockman has that type of ability, nor does he have the type of cardio to keep up with a guy like Jake Matthews. So, I like Matthews here by decision. I think that he grinds this fight out, takes a safe victory in his home country, uh, and, you know, Continues to move along and progress in his career. Unfortunately for Rostam Ahmed, he's probably going to get cut. Let's be honest. All right, next up we got Jorgen De Castro versus Justin Taffa. Justin Taffa coming into this fight on a fucking rampage. His last two fights lasted a combined 58 seconds, where he or sorry, uh, sorry, it went two rounds. <laughs> Second last fight. I don't know why. I I believe actually I know why. Uh, the fight that I have on the tape index only shows the second round um, and it completely escaped my mind. However, Justin Taffa shows way better technical striking than my man Jorgen De Castro. Uh, De Castro is most famous for his being like the, the heaviest underdog on the card uh, on his Dana White Contender Series fight. Uh, and he gets the victory and he gets his contract. However, I think he is still too green. A guy like Justin Taffa, who also has a brother who's a, a glory heavyweight bo uh, kickboxer as well, um, you know, you can just see the difference in their striking. De Castro is more of a brute. He's just trying to swing and, and try to do the most damage as possible uh, and in hopes of knocking you out. Whereas Justin Taffa, yeah, he has the kind of same uh, methodology. However, he's just tighter and crisper with his strikes. So with this fight being closer to a pick -em, you know, it was kind of, if you're going to bet this fight as all, at all, you got to go with Justin Taffa. And if there's another thing you're going to bet on, it's probably the under one and a half. So... That is the lock of the night play that I was considering, uh, you know, that I was even talking about at the beginning of the show. Um, so that line currently hasn't come out yet. It's definitely something that I want to keep my eyes on as soon as it comes out. But I think that's pretty much the lock of the night. You know, I, uh, like I said at the top of the show, um, I answered in last week's episode how, you know, which what odds would I feel most comfortable betting a heavy favorite in? You know, the heavy on the under will probably be up to minus 350. Um, I'm going to, I'm hoping it's going to be around the minus 300, even less than that range, but I am more than willing to play that juice on a guy like Justin Taffa and Jurgen De Castro. De Castro though, man, like he is still very green. Uh, and you know, you see it in one of his fights against, uh, I believe it was the fight that he had before the contender series. Uh, oh, two fights before the contender series fight. Ras Halton. This guy was huge. Uh, that he fought, uh, and one thing that Do Castro really 
recognized that he should do is whip the leg kicks. But it just seemed like so amateurish with how he was setting up the leg kicks, which was no setup at all. His setup for leg kicks were leg kicks. It was ridiculous. Like He just kept throwing leg kicks. I've never seen a fight where somebody has thrown one strike so spam-like as my man uh, Justin De- or sorry Jorgen DeCastro did against Ras Hilton. I would definitely recommend checking that out. That's on the tape index. Um, and, you know, it just seemed like he really broke Ras down like that and then eventually landed his overhand right. I just don't think that that's going to fly against a guy like Justin Taffa. You know, I think Taffa has the the fight IQ to know that, okay, if this guy's just going to keep working leg, whipping leg kicks at me, I'm going to throw the opposite hand overhand and land on this guy because he's going to have his hands down, which is something that, uh, you know, Jorgen is actually guilty of. So... I like Tafa here. I do have a bet on him. 1.5 units. I believe it was minus 120 that I got or minus 121. Um, seems like a no-brainer for me. You know, it's it's two sloppy-ish heavyweights going in there. I believe one is less sloppy. And I definitely believe that this fight is definitely not going my, under one and a half rounds. Or sorry, over one and a half rounds. So I will be betting the under as soon as that shit comes out. Um, again, as long as it's not like minus 400 or something like that. But yes, I like Justin Tafa here. I think he's going to win by first round finish. And it's going to be a war while it lasts. Next up, we got Luke Jamal versus Diego Lima. I really like this fight. Um, you know, this is one fight where I was in the fade Luke Jamal or fade Diego Lima. Just I was in that 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 mode for so long. Luke Jamal specifically because of the Shinsho Anzai loss, that was a fight that he should not have lost. Like I'm not the judges got it right, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that I don't believe that this guy uh, should have lost to a guy of the level of Shinsho Anzai. He has good striking. You know, he does decently when he's moving backwards, but he does get a tendency or have a tendency to get hit. His lack of activity is also a concern coming into this fight as his last fight was against Daichi Abe way back in February of 2018. That was the same card that Luke Rockhold got knocked out by Yoel Romero. So with Luke Jamal, you know, it's no... You know, there's no no biggie about it. You know, he, he wants to keep this fight on the feet. He wants to remain in a striking range, but he does fall into poor fight IQ modes. Uh, for an example, when he fought Daichi Abe, he got outstruck in that first round. He got hurt a couple times. He took a lot of damage. He almost got finished. In the second round, he comes out. Yeah, he wins that round. But, you know, you can attribute this to two things. So Daichi Abe obviously showed a little bit of, uh, you know, aware in his, uh, in, his, in his treads. Like he was, he was gassing. He was losing energy. He wasn't being as offensive-minded as his first round. But you could also point that to... Uh, him kind of unloading on Jamal when he had him hurt a couple times. So maybe he blew himself out that way. The other way that he possibly could have blown himself for, and I am I am going to give bonus points to Luke Jamal for this, is his it, it's glass half full type of thinking, uh, thinking here. You know, he was blasting the, I believe it was left hook to the body, right hand on top, or it was the right, right hook to the body, left hook, left hook on top. Um, but either way, he was just spamming that over and over. More than 10 times in five minutes, he threw that combination. And you're not going to get away with that against a guy like Diego Lima. You know, Luke Jamal pretty much ran away with the fight in the third round just based off of activity alone. I think Diego Lima is going to be a lot more active than Daichi Abe was in that third round. Uh, proof? Diego Lima against Court McGee, you know. That is a fight where I went lock of the night deep on Court McGee, Court McGee because I saw the the deficiencies in Diego Lima's takedown defense in his past fights uh, and just his ability to wilt. He came back then, he came back in the Chadler Previous fight, got that beautiful knockout, and then comes out and masterfully, 
you know, outshines Court McGee in that fight. I was surprised. I was I was very much surprised. He was very accurate with his striking, even though he was on his back foot for the entirety of that fight. Um, and his takedown defense looked really on point. I think that Luke Jamal, you know, he is going to get hit here. He shows that he can get hit. I understand why Diego Lima is the favorite. Um, but, you know, even if he goes for the takedown, I believe that Diego Lima has a good enough takedown defense. And he showed it in his last fight against Court McGee, who I believe is a better wrestler than Luke Jamal, uh, that Diego Lima is able to keep this fight on the feet. And I think as long as it is on the feet, he's going to be the one outpointing Luke Jamal, even though he might be the one on the back foot. Because Luke Jamal, in his own right, doesn't mind being on the back foot either. So the one interesting thing that's going to be uh, fun to find out in the first 30 seconds or minute of this fight is who decides to take the back foot. Um, and I think in either realm, Diego Lima is going to have the advantage here. Um, I'm I'm okay with his chin. I think he still has a good chin on him. Uh, he is going to be the longer fighter here too. So, uh, you know, one one weapon that he's used and even knocked out Chad Laprie with is his left hook. Beautiful left hook, you know, very accurate. Um, can catch guys even when he's moving backwards. Um, and he seems to be comfortable in either stance either, uh, as well. So I think it's going to throw Luke Chumao off a bit. Um, if anybody's going to go for a takedown, it's Luke, and I don't think he's going to get it. And I think that Diego Lima could either outpoint him here. However, I think that he's going to go out there and finish him. I think that he has a decent shot at landing on Luke Chumao, just as every opponent has in the past, uh, and putting him out. You know, Dominic Steele is probably the heaviest striker that's ever fit or, or landed on Luke Jamal. But I think a guy with the technical ability of a Diego Lima on the feet and to capitalize on some of the instances where Luke Jamal is a little lazy with his defense, you know, if he wants to spam that fucking left hook to the body, right hook on top, you know, Diego Lima is going to see that. Um, if he goes to, you know, if Luke goes to any type of uh, just pattern, which he's shown in other fights, I think Diego Lima is. Uh, smart enough and has most you know enough fight IQ to be able to catch those tendencies and capitalize on it against Luke Jamal. So I I can't believe I'm saying it because I've loved to fade Diego Lima. You know I faded him against Jesse Taylor. I was super close to fading him against Yushin Okami. I'm not sure why I fucking laid off that, but I should have taken Yushin Okami there. Um, and then I even thought Chad Laprise was going to beat him, but he showed that you know he is a very devastating striker. Um, and in a fight where I don't think it's going to go to the ground, I'm going to favor Diego Lima here. However, I got to wait for the odds to get a little bit closer. It seems like there is some hometown love or a lot of people think that Diego Lima is not the fighter that he is uh, and people are betting on Luke Jamal. Um, if I can get Diego Lima around the minus 130-ish range, minus 125, I may take a play on it. Maybe a two-unit play, maybe a 1.5-unit play, but I think he should be favored here, uh, but slightly. So I like Diego Lima. Uh, I think he gets the decision victory here. No, you know what? I think he does land on Luke Jamal enough and get the finish. I'm going to say second-round finisher for Diego Lima, plus 320 for that prop for him to win inside the distance. So I might look at that, maybe put like 0.25 or something and 1.25 straight, but we'll see how that goes. But I like Diego Lima here, and I can't believe those words are actually coming out of my mouth. But yes, Diego Lima, second-round TKO. All right, next up we got Tai Tuivasa versus Sergey Spivak. I like Tai Tuivasa here. I don't think that there is any doubt about it. I think everybody likes Tai Tuivasa here. Sergey Spivak is so easy to hit as perfect pudding, or sorry, perfect evidence in the pudding, whatever the fuck they call it, uh, in Sergey's last fight against Walt Harris. I think we're going to kind of get the same type of thing from Tai Tuivasa. I think we're going to get a guy that is not really going to 
respect the power of Sergei Spivak. He's going to blitz, blitz forward, uh, land the heavy shots, and eventually put out Sergei Spivak. I think Taito Vasa really has a lot that he wants to prove. You know, he lost that decision to, or sorry, he lost via finish to Junior Dos Santos back in December, and then he lost that decision to Blagoy Ivanov earlier this year. Um, good for him to get right back on the horse, and this is a very favorable matchup for him coming into his, you know, home region. Uh, uh, against a guy that just got finished in his last fight in May, like Tai Tuivasa here, I would be like absolutely stunned if this fight either makes it to a second round or if Tai Tuivasa isn't the one that comes out with the victory here. Um, I wouldn't be mad at anybody parlaying him uh, at those heavy odds that he's at either. So I said not to put Macy Kiasan into a parlay last week, and what happened? A lot of people did, but a couple of my people didn't, and you're welcome. All right, next up we have Ally Quinta versus Daniel Hooker. Very intriguing fight in terms of styles. However, I just don't give a fuck about it. <laughs> Simple as that. Uh, you know, Ally Quinta's coming off a loss to Donald Cowboy Cerrone, and Daniel Hooker's coming off a victory over James Vick. So it's kind of a, a fight for uh, Daniel Hooker to kind of get vaulted back into contention era after, you know, losing to Edson Barboza uh, at the end of last year. Uh, Dan Hooker currently sitting around the minus 160-ish range. Uh, I don't feel confident enough to bet him there. You know, he took so much damage in the ads, damage in the Edson Barboza fight. Ally Quinta is a gamer. Uh, you know, I think Ally Quinta has a better overall MMA game. However, I think O'Hooker just has the advantage on the feet. So I definitely think that he'll be able to, you know, land on an Ally Quinta. Uh, I think he has the opportunity to decision Ally Quinta, but I like Ally Quinta's, you know, tenacity to go through some of these shots. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take uh, Ally Quinta by third round TKO. I like him here. Uh, kind of talk myself into that one. You know, I might run it a little bit more just to dig a little bit deeper. But, you know, I like Quinto when he's on. He has really good boxing. We saw that in the Kevin Lee fight. Uh, when he gets into this rhythm, he could really do some damage on some guys. You know, Daniel Hooker is a tough motherfucker. He took a beating, a significant beating to Edson Barboza. Eventually, you know, st stuck around uh, but couldn't get through halfway through the third round. I like Quinto is going to be a little bit more. Uh, and he's going to bring you know that forward pressure to Daniel Hooker. It's going to be interesting to see if Daniel Hooker is going to be able to continue to you know land while being on the back foot because I truly believe he will be on the back foot. Um, I might I'll think about a play on Ally Quinta. You know this is something I'll get back to you guys later in the week. Uh, but I I definitely like Daniel Hooker uh, to you know get a loss here. Um, I don't feel comfortable betting him, nor would I feel comfortable putting him in a parlay. I like Ally Quinta, man. You know, he has a lot going against him, you know, flying down from New York all the way to Australia, kind of coming into the neck of the woods for Dan Hooker. Um, but, you know, Iaquinta, he's good. Like, I, I don't think he really lets that stuff get to him. Uh, so uh, I like him at dog odds. It's kind of like a dog or pass situation here. Um, a lot of people are, like, kind of gaga over Daniel Hooker after he finished James Vick in his last fight. Very impressive performance, don't get me wrong. But Al Iaquinta is another beast. So I'm taking Iaquinta... Uh, by third round TKO, uh, will I bet it? I'm not 100% sure. All right, next up, main event time. We got my man Robert Bobby Knuckles Whitaker against Israel Adesanya. This is a very, very intriguing fight. Almost anybody you put Robert Whitaker up against, it's going to be an intriguing fight. But you have Israel Adesanya as that other guy. We have a very intriguing fight. So um, Robert Whitaker is coming off of two fights against Yoel Romero. 
A lot of fights, both fights, a lot of people thought that he lost, more so the second one than the first one. But he, you know, keeps getting by these fights by the chin on his hair, the hair on his chin, the chin on his hair, whatever the fuck it is. Hair on his chin, uh, especially in that last fight, which was June of last year. He's been out with an injury for a while now. Uh, Kelvin Gaslam was scheduled to fight him back in February. Had to pull out of that one. Adesanya pulls in. Uh, and then uh, now we get Adesanya versus Whitaker to unify the titles. I really like uh, Robert Whitaker here, you know. Um, but the only concerning thing is that he's been off for so long and he's coming in against a guy that is a motherfucker in Israel, Adesanya. He does a great job with holding the range. You know, uh, Kelvin Gastelum did a lot of good good things by closing the distance, by blitzing on Israel, Adesanya and catching him a couple times. I think that Robert Whitaker has a little bit more on his punches than Kelvin, uh, but that could be argued. You know, I wouldn't be mad if somebody said otherwise. However, um, I just think that the the rust is going to be a, a sad reality for Robert Whitaker here, and it's not a guy you really want to come back against in an Israel Adesanya. You know, he had roughly about nine months off between the Romero fights, and we saw a difference there. I think even seeing a difference here against Adesanya is not what you want against a guy with the striking acumen of an Israel Adesanya. The guy has looked masterful. I don't think that Robert Whitaker will be very successful with any type of takedowns that he attempts on Israel Adesanya. I think that Adesanya is going to pick him apart on the feet. I think it will be competitive for maybe a round or two, but I think Adesanya is going to slowly run away with it as he starts to get the timing of Whitaker. I really like Adesanya. It's just, if we get like the Bobby Knuckles, I think it's going to be a lot tougher of a fight for Adesanya because we've seen Robert Whitaker go five rounds if, he's ha if he must, you know, uh, especially against a tough opponent like Yoel Romero. Um, this fight is just a, a it's just going to be a pass for me you know I, I can't I can't help but but think that we're going to get a really good Robert Whitaker but if any you know if history has told us anything that he doesn't do the best coming off of a long layoff um, if you are going to bet this fight and as closely lined as this fight is I think you got to side with Adesanya strictly due to you know strictly due to activity to, due to um you know, just being the more uh, well-rounded striker as well. I think he has a lot of tools. Uh, his kicks are going to be very helpful for him here. Uh, but again, Robert Whitaker does a good job of closing distance, landing big shots, and we've seen that as a you know successful style against Israel, even though Calvin didn't get that victory, we've seen that people can land on him. So I, I just think that Israel is just going to be a little too quick for Robert, and it's going to be that much... Uh, you know, that will give him enough of an edge to pull out a decision victory over Whitaker here. I see that the decision go the fight go to a decision is actually the plus money here. Um, you know, I don't feel comfortable in that. It's very rarely do I feel comfortable in betting overs or fight goes to decisions. I don't know why I find it more nerve-wracking than, uh, you know, an actual fight actually not going to a decision or the under or whatever the fuck it is. So very rarely will you guys ever see me bet the over or the fight goes, goes to decision. But if it's set at like one and a half... It might be something that I'll be interested in, but anything over two and a half, I'm, I'm just don't, I don't feel comfortable. Like Adesanya could land at any moment, Whitaker could land at any moment. I don't think that this fight will hit the ground. If it does, I think it's going to be Whitaker that's going to be the one going for the takedowns. But I don't know how successful he's actually going to be with those. So I don't know how you can confidently lay money on Robert Whitaker with all the injuries and all the time off that he's had, and how good Adesanya has been looking, even in that war that he had against Calvin Gastelum last time around. I just think it's just made him a better fighter, and I think that he has all the tools to dethrone Robert Whitaker and become the new middleweight champion. So 
It's a no bet for me, but I am going to side with Israel Adesanya. And, he th and I think he wins by decision. I think he outpoints Robert Whitaker here. Uh, that's about it. That's a wrap for UFC 243. Unfortunately, we lost Holly Holm against um, Raquel Pennington. I was definitely going to make Holly Holm my lock of the night play. So if they, you know, eventually get that fight uh, rebooked, I, you know, I will still side with Holly Holm. I will still go probably lock of the night deep. And the best part about it is I saw a lot of people on Raquel Pennington. So I think that the line is going to be slightly better next time around. So that's just something to keep your eye on and, and, and to think about for the next time if they do rebook that fight. Um, a lot of exciting things happening in the MMA lock of the night world. I'm super excited. I can't wait to, to, to showcase what I got planned for you guys. I got a lot of shit coming to the channel that's going to blow your minds, I hope. And you guys are going to get familiar with this face. So I can't wait to share that info with you guys, but you guys are going to have to wait. Uh, until then, MMALOTN.ca. Check out my Twitter, at MMALOTN. I already have two bets posted there, as well as my bet MMA tips fight. Yes, I was supposed to have a guest on this episode. However, things did not work out. I don't want to reveal who that is yet because I will be getting him on the next show. Uh, maybe not the next episode, but a show in the future. Um, and I can't wait to share who that guy is with you guys. So, uh, that's it for me. I will see you guys again next week. Uh, I don't even know which fight is next. UFC Tampa, which I believe is headlined by Yoani and Jacek. And... Yeah, Yoani and Jacek and Michelle Watterson. So I'll be happy to break down that fight for you guys. All right, that's it. I'm out. Later. <laughs>